Wonderful. Wonderful. We celebrate, Lord willing, this Tuesday, our country's 247th birthday. How many of you remember the 200th? Amen. 1976. I was just a little guy. I don't remember much about it. But uh, hard to believe. Amen. 250 years coming right around the bend here. And uh, I love our country. I, I don't love what she has become, particularly in the last few years. By the way, I'm glad June is over. Amen. Hallelujah. But I love our country. I was out last night, and uh, I'm for Memorial Day and the 4th of July, I have uh, about eight or ten little flags that uh, I stick in the edge of our property. So folks will just know that this is a house that loves our country. Amen. And uh, when I think about our country, I know it's not Veterans Day, but I think about all our veterans. I think about, of course, uh, you know, we, we celebrate that on Veterans Day. And I'm glad, we, I'm glad our country celebrates Veterans Day. I'm glad our country celebrates Memorial Day for those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. I'm glad our country stops and pauses and celebrates our birth in response to tyranny 247 years ago. December 7th, 1941, a date which shall live in infamy. We all have heard those words from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. For America, this was the beginning of the Second World War. However, just 10 hours difference, really December 8th, but it was over the international dateline, the Japanese would also bomb the American aircraft on Manila in the Philippines. Due to a lack of air cover, the American Asiatic fleet retreats to the island of Java. This paves the way for an overwhelming invasion of the Philippines by 130,000 Japanese troops, virtually unopposed. With its aircraft destroyed and its Pacific fleet, at, uh, Pacific fleet at the bottom of Pearl Harbor, its Asiatic fleet retreating, unable to be resupplied with men, materials, food, and most importantly, as it would come, medicine, 80,000 American and Filipino troops engage in a heroic fighting retreat back to the Bataan Peninsula in January of 1942. <clears throat> Under orders from President Roosevelt and against his wishes, General Douglas MacArthur, his family, and his staff are whisked away to Mindanao, the southernmost island of the Philippines, on the night of March 12, 1942, and flown to Melbourne, Australia, on March 20th, 1942. Upon arriving at a railway station to a raucous and supportive crowd of Australians, General MacArthur was interviewed and asked if he would reach the United States. He replied, The President of the United States ordered me to break through the Japanese lines and proceed to Corregidor to Australia for the purpose, as I understand it, of organizing an American offensive against Japan, the primary purpose of which is the relief of the Philippines. I came through, and I shall return. Little did anyone realize, or possibly could have imagined, how much those last three words... I shall return, would come to mean to those men on Bataan, the United States military, its citizens, and people all over the world. On April 9th, 1942, 
78,000 emaciated and starving uh, American and Filipino troops, 12,000 Americans and 66,000 Filipinos surrendered to the Japanese. The Japanese viewed surrender as the greatest of disgraces and thus take the prisoners on what has come to be known as the Bataan Death March, a brutal 70-mile forced march. 600 Americans and 5,000 Filipinos die or are murdered on the march. Those who survive are sent to prisoner of war camps throughout the Philippines or Japan or other conquered territories. It is in these camps amongst the American soldiers that General MacArthur's promise of, I shall return, bring hope. In June of 1942, with the American victory at the Battle of Midway, the entire Pacific War turns in our favor. The Japanese lose in the battle four carriers, one heavy cruiser, 248 planes, and 3,000 men. Victories in the Pacific at Guadalcanal, the Gilbert and Marshall Islands, Mariana and Palu follow. On October 20th, 1944, General MacArthur lands at Lady Gulf on Luzon in the Philippines. The area is far from secure as snipers are still active and there is still mortar fire. When General MacArthur's boat is grounded, he requests a landing craft. However, none arrives as he wades ashore in knee-deep water. Upon coming ashore, as you can see in the graphic behind me, he reads a prepared speech and says, People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, consecrated with the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control of your daily lives, of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. Word of MacArthur's arrival in the Philippines caught like wildfire amongst the Americans, Filipinos, and the Japanese that he had kept his promise and in, did, had indeed returned. Sick prisoners of war were encouraged to just hang in there a little longer. One more day, soldiers were buoyed on to fight against the enemy just a little longer. MacArthur will be breaking through. Factory workers were inspired to do their best and aid the war effort here at home just a few more days. All because of General MacArthur's promise to return and keeping of that promise. In our text today, in Luke chapter 22, we read about the Passover, the time when Jesus celebrated that last Passover with his disciples. In verses 7 through 13, we see the preparation of the Passover. Verses 14 through 15, we see the privilege of the Passover. And verses 16 through 18, we see the promise of the Passover. Look at verse 16 with me, if you would, there. He says, For I say unto you, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And it tells us he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. For he said, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. In verses 19 and 20, we learn the purpose of the Passover. That he took bread and he took that fruit of the vine, that non-alcoholic wine. And what was it? It was a picture of what he would do for us on Calvary. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Purge out the old leaven that it may be a new lump, an unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, was 
sacrificed for us. The Passover. The Apostle Paul recounted this incident. We read in, in, there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he said, The Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it and gave thanks and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. And again, four times a year here at our church, we celebrate this wonderful ordinance that commemorates all that Jesus did for us. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a day when we won't celebrate the Lord's table anymore. We'll be sitting at the Lord's table. And he told us that when Paul recounted. He, he said in that last phrase, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. See, ladies and gentlemen, this preacher and this church as a whole, still believe in the doctrine of what is called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And let me just say a few things about that. Jesus Christ himself promised that he would return. As he was comforting his disciples at that Passover meal, the, the, again, it's mentioned in each of the Gospels. It's mentioned in Matthew chapter 26 and, and Mark chapter 14 and, and Luke chapter 22. But the longest portion it's mentioned in is John chapters 13 through 16. And he says to them, after he has told them that he's going to die, he's going to be crucified uh, at the hands of wicked men and die after they had given up all, forsaken all, and followed him. He says to them in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Aren't you glad for that old King James? You can have a room. I want a mansion. Amen? I've got a room now, and it's next to my boy's room. Amen. I'll just leave it right there. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Christ promised to return. Hey, the angels reminded us of His return. Did they not? After Jesus had finished His earthly work and He had been back on earth for 40 days and was seen of, of at least 500 and others, He ascended up. His disciples were there and He ascended up. And I, I've often said, Brother Bob, we don't preach much on the ascension, but the ascension is so key. It's so important. Just imagine His disciples as there He is and He lifts up. And he just, you ever lose a, a helium balloon? You know, you ever see a kid, they lose a helium balloon and they, they're walking, all of a sudden, oh, they look up and they watch it and it goes and goes and goes and goes and Pete until they can't see it anymore. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. He went and went and went and the, the disciples did what you and I would have done, which was this. And they just stood there gawking with their mouths open. And the angel said to them, ye men of Galilee, Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. The angels reminded us of his return. Christ promised that he would return. Hey, the apostle Paul explained his return to that church at Thessalonica that had gotten some bad doctrine. They, they were convinced by false teachers that Christ had already returned. And he said this to them uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that had died in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, and I love that he says this, by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them for which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Christ promised to return. The angels told of His return. Paul explained His return. The saints anticipate His return. Remember what Paul told young Titus? He told him, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of James, chapter 5, James uses the farming illustration. Nothing has, I believe, helped my faith more than seeing and, 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 and living in, a, in an area where there's farming done. Because, Mrs. Lawley, you pass the seasons. You pass that field in the winter and it's just bare. Then in the spring, it's all tilled up and it's getting ready for planting. Then it's planted and about this time, we got knee-high by the 4th of July on the corn. Amen? And then at the end, it's harvest time. And then you got to clear the field and get it ready for winter. And James uses a harvest illustration to tell us about the Lord's return. He says here, he said, Be patient, therefore, brethren. I like that he says that. You know why? Because it's not natural to be patient. And all God's people said. <laughs> be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, or the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Hey, you don't harvest in the spring. You got to be patient. Until you receive the early, that's the spring rain, and the latter, that's around now, rain, be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Somebody mentioned this morning, about the return of Christ. I think it was Brother Cody mentioned how we've heard about the return of Christ all these years and we're 30 years closer to it than we were back then, Brother Ron. Amen? Just as certain as Jesus came the first time as a babe in a manger and we celebrate that at Christmas time. It's a wonderful time. I love it. He will come the second time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. William Evans, in his book, The Great Doctrines of the Bible, said it is claimed that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentioned the doctrine of the second coming. To every one mention of the first coming, the second coming is mentioned eight times. 318 references to it are made in 216 chapters. Whole books, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and chapters, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, are devoted to it. And just like those road signs that tell me how to get where I'm going. I always think about this when I travel back to Massachusetts and, and we, we visit family there and, and we go, we take 94 and then we go down 23 and then we go 475 and then 75 and then 80 and 90 and you're on 80 90 for a long time. You get on 90 and it says Erie, 180 miles. Then you get to Erie and it says Buffalo, another 100 miles. Syracuse, 100 miles, and Utica, 100 miles, Albany, 100 miles, and then it says Massachusetts, 100 miles. It's like those signs that tell me I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. Listen, the Lord Jesus says that God's Word says the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He said in Matthew 16, in the morning, you say, it will be foul weather in the day, for the sky is red and lowering. He says, oh, ye hypocrites, can ye not discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Jesus upbraided his disciples in that they could discern the weather, but they couldn't discern the signs of his coming. You say, what are the signs of his coming? I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us there will be sinful scoffers before he comes. Sinful scoffers. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. But the Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
He'll come. There'll be apostate apostles, not only sinful scoffers, people that scoff at his coming and mock. There'll be apostate apostles. Well, we've talked about that a lot within the last month and, of course, through the book of Jude. But 2 Peter kicks off chapter 2 like this. And I remember hearing an old preacher years ago say the apostates hate 2 Peter for three reasons. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And those are three good reasons, amen. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among them, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and they shall trap many in their pernicious ways. There are apostate apostates. There are quote-unquote preachers standing up in pulpits today who don't believe a word of this. And they're convincing others to do so as well. Signs of the time. Sinful scoffers, apostate apostles. Oh, it goes without saying, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a day of seducing spirits, don't we? 1 Timothy 4, 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We, we live in a day of mainstream propaganda. And the bulk of it hates the Lord Jesus Christ, hates the Word of God. It's a perilous period, we're told. One of the signs of the times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also in the last days, perilous times shall come. We know these verses. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinence free, despisers of those that are good. That's the day we live in, ladies and gentlemen. We're also told that one of the signs of the times will be distressing days. Luke 21, 25 says, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations. Tells us in Luke 17, it'll be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. What were those days? They were days of decline, days of depravity, Days of delusion, days of destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not if Christ will return, it is when He will return. It's a guarantee. It says, till He come. You know what that means, Brother Dave? He's going to come. He's going to come. Observe the Lord's table till He come. If it's a guarantee that He will return, and scripturally it is, what should we be doing till He come? What should we be doing? I have a simple message today. It really is simple. I think most of us will, will get this. Dr. Malone used to joke all the time, Brother Ewald, he'd say, he'd say, I have seven messages and 3,000 titles. So, <laughs> so it always comes down to some of the same things, doesn't it? Number one, we should be actively waiting till he come. I said actively waiting. It says in Matthew 24, 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. He said, so this, be looking for His return. Actively waiting. 1 John 2, 28 puts it this way, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, ye may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Just a couple verses later, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what he shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope, what's the hope? That he's going to return, and we're going to be like him. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Someone has well said, to get the most out of each day, the Christian should live as if Christ died this morning, arose this afternoon, and is coming back this evening. That is to be actively waiting, ladies and gentlemen. If, if we're actively waiting, we're not participating in sinful things. 
We're, 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 we're repenting of sin. We're, we're, we're trying to live for the Lord. We're, we're, there's several other points here. We're talking about actively waiting. Actively wait. Do you really believe the Lord Jesus could come at any moment? If you do, you should be actively waiting. Secondly, something we should be doing is faithfully teaching. Faithfully teaching. Matthew 28, 19, 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. When I think of this, I think of the important role in the local church of each service. I think of Sunday school. You Sunday school teachers, you just keep teaching. You keep teaching those little ones, amen, till he comes. I think of, of course, obviously, the Sunday a.m. service when we have preaching from the pulpit, amen, and that's part of my, one of the wonderful privileges I have as a pastor is to teach and preach the Word of God. I think of Sunday p.m., and I think of the midweek service, and I think of revival meeting and missions conference. Ladies and gentlemen, whether the world of the, or the bulk of the church as a whole does not want to hear it and chooses not to attend these services... We as a church must be faithful to teach the Word of God and the great doctrines of the faith and the commands of Jesus Christ till He come. You know, we are always just one generation away from losing our faith. You know that? Think about that story in Judges chapter 2. This is what it says. Let me just read it to you. It's uh, chapter 2, verse 8. 10, 12. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor the works that he had done in Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the God of their fathers. You know, I was talking to some preacher friends this week about the importance of Holding the line with old-fashioned worship. I'm talking about old-fashioned church. Not turning it into a nightclub. Not a light show. We don't need fog machines. We don't, we don't need the rock band. And the reason is, it was a, a conversation, well, I've felt this way a long time, but a conversation Brother Tom Sammons and I had a long time ago. And I had sung a song, in a service, it was a good song, proper song, done right, done well, and it turned out that the the uh, writer of that song had gone very bad, and, and I had been singing that song for years before the guy went bad, and brother brother Tom mentioned to me, I'll never forget, I had only been here, I'd probably been here a year, and it's going on fourteen now. And Brother Tom said to me, he said, Pastor, I don't worry about you at all. He's like, you know what you believe. That, that's a good song, all that. He said, but I worry about what a steady diet of that kind of stuff can do to our church. By the way, that's the kind of members we have here. That I've probably sung that song three times, and I've had people request for me to sing it at a funeral and whatnot, but I don't sing it too often, and I'll tell you why. Because so many churches go astray through the wrong kind of music. I'm thankful for Pastor Alex and Miss Heidi. I'm thankful for our little orchestra over here, amen? Part of that is just faithfully teaching what the Bible says, the commands of Christ. Faithfully teaching, actively waiting. How about this one? <clears throat> Number three, what should we do till he come? Be fervently praying. Fervently praying. Mark 13, 32 says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. James 5, verse 16, The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18, 1, Jesus spake a parable unto them to the intent that all men always ought to pray and not to faint. You know, prayer is not easy, and all God's people said. You want to talk about something that the devil will fight you on and his imps will fight you on? It's praying. 
Spending time in prayer. Listen, I know this, uh, Brother Lolly. Something always comes up when I try to pray. Always. Always. What does that tell me? That tells me the devil fights real hard against prayer because prayer is really important. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes perseverance. Many of us here have been in love. I'll tell you this, when you're truly in love with somebody, you want to communicate with them. Don't tell me you love God and never talk to Him. Hmm? Don't tell me you love God and, and say, I, I just don't pray. I understand prayer is hard. And I understand if I have failed in an area more of my life than prayer, I don't know what it is. Prayer is talking to the one you love. We should be fervently praying till He comes. There's lots to pray about. There's so many people to pray for. If you just prayed for your church family, you could pray for a while. How about this? What should we be doing till He come? Lovingly helping. Lovingly helping. Not only fervently pray, praying, not only actively watching, not only faithfully teaching, but lovingly helping. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 33 through 37. You remember the story, the, the priest walks by this man who's hurt, bleeding, dying. The Levite, the religious person, walks by, and the Samaritan were, were despised. They were, they were half-breeds. The, the Jews hated them. And he helped that person. And the, the lawyer was trying to say, who's my neighbor anyway? And Jesus gave us that, that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember what he said at the end? He said this, go and do thou likewise. That's, that's what it is to be lovingly helped. I, I love it. This week, Brother Cole and Brother Mike got a, uh, an idea going, and I just, I'm so excited about it, man. And that is just a, a free Bibles table. We're going to be setting up at uh, uh, Nixon Park there in the parking lot off to the side and just holding up signs, free Bible, need prayer, uh, any way we can help. And, and uh, I love that. I'm telling you, I just love that. You know what it is? It's just trying to be a help. Just trying to get people to the cross. Amen? And that's what we ought to be. Giving, you, of course, you can give yourself. We give our time, our talents, our treasures. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, lovingly helping. We, we give, we not only giving yourself, but obeying your Father. He said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14.15. And then, lovingly helping by considering your family. If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, loveth his brother also. You know, sometimes it's easy to love God, and it's not so easy to love your brother or sister. Boy, I expected a louder amen in my direction for that one. Amen. A... <laughs> hey, let's determine till he come to be lovingly helping. Lovingly helping. You know, it goes without saying we should be compassionately witnessing. Compassionately witnessing, shouldn't we? I mean, that literally is it. The difference between heaven and hell in our lives was a compassionate witness from somebody. I don't care if it was a Sunday school teacher. I don't care if it was a gospel track that you received from somebody. It was a tent meeting, whatever it was. It was somebody compassionately witnessing. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Bible says in Acts 5.42, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do people know that you're a Christian? I try to pass out tracts. And again, I've joked about this. I try to pass out tracts so that if somebody went someplace looking for me, they would know I had been there. Oh, Pastor Rich must have been here. There's another track. 
Yep, there's one here. There's one over there. It used to be, uh, how many of you remember phone booths? Amen. <laughs> we, used to, we used to leave them in the phone booth. Amen. Right in the change slot. Uh, we used to, forgive me, if you were in the restroom, you used to put them on top of the toilet paper. Amen. For the person just sitting there. Just always leaving gospel tracts everywhere. Listen, we need to be faithful to try to witness. Sometimes people will shut you down. But you know what else I've learned, Brother Mike? Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll listen. The question is, are we, till he come, going to be compassionate witnesses? God wants us to be obedient. I, listen, I've said this before. I'm, I'm not a good soul winner, but that doesn't relieve me from witnessing. Some people are better at it than others. That's okay. Whether you're good at it or not doesn't mean whether you obey God or not. It's a matter of obedience compassionately witnessing. You know what else we should be doing till he come? Diligently studying. Diligently studying. Romans 10, 17, I've heard people through the years say, boy, my, I just feel like my faith is so small. My faith is so small. And I always come back with this verse. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Most times we feel like our faith is small because we have to do this. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen O me. <laughs> Acts 17, 11, a great verse. These were more no noble than them in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then he would go on to say, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of, the, of those who thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. There's only one way to get to know God. It's not by staring up at the sky. You can do that and admire God for sure. I know about you, that sunset a couple nights ago, whoo! That was awesome. <clears throat> that rain last night, whoo! There's only one way to get to know God and that's in His Word. Read it through in a year. I love our reading plan this year. I am so <coughs> enjoying being in a different set of books each day. Sundays, we're in the epistles. I read Colossians 1 and 2 this morning. Tomorrow, we're in the law, Leviticus. Uh, Tuesday, we're in the historical books, the Kings. Wednesday, the Psalms. Thursday, the poetical books, Proverbs. Friday, we're in the prophets. Saturday, the Gospels and Acts. And then Sunday, we start all over again. It's been so good. Read your Bible through. Have daily devotions. You say, Pastor, I've never, I've never done daily devotions. Listen, get into our book. We have daily devotionals that, that can walk you through. I can show you how to do it. It's just, it's an easy process. It really is. Study a topic out of the Bible. Get you one of those uh, uh, open Bible expanded editions. It's got a 300-page subject index in the front. Pick any topic and just start chasing verses. I heard a preacher years ago say, master a book of the Bible. Hey, I think we should have Jude mastered by Wednesday. <laughs> After 50 lessons, amen? We ought, we ought to know it's about apostasy, amen? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Anything, just get your nose in this book. Let's be diligently studying the Word of God. Diligently studying compassionately witnessing, lovingly helping, fervently praying, faithfully teaching, actively watching. I think of this one when I think of the Lord's table. Reverently observing. You know, the Lord's table is a time of... I'm, I'm glad we do it. I, I talked to Brother Treadway about it, and he was mentioning a service that he used to do when he was a pastor. And I think it was kind of like our Crucifixion Wednesday service. 
that we have here, which I just love. I love that service. But Brother Bob, he mentioned that for that particular service, he doesn't want any fellowship whatsoever. He wants everybody to just come in, be seated. There's a soberness to it. You know, we're not supposed to be giggly and goofy when we observe the Lord's table. There's a, there's a sobriety to it. There's a seriousness that our Lord was making the full payment for our wicked, wretched sins. Amen? We're to remember His sacrifice for us. And of course, it's in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. We're, we're reminded that we're not our own. This body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord who bought it. And we repent as we examine ourselves, as we reverently observe the Lord's table. We, we take the bread, which is just bread. It doesn't become the body of Christ when we pray over it. Amen. And that grape juice that's unfermented, it doesn't become the blood of Christ when we pray over it. It is simply grape juice to remind us that Jesus shed His blood. And that His body was broken for us, for our sins. What are we to be doing till He come? We're to be reverently observing. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? We're to be righteously living. Not holier than thou. Not at all. But here's what God said. I remember back, how many of you participated in Awana many years ago? Awana. I was a pioneer's leader. Your nephew Eric, Brother Bob, was the first one of the first kids I had. And I had a... I had a uh, hardbound Bible, and I had three, I had a deacon's kid, a preacher's kid, and another kid. You want to talk about a recipe for disaster. Those kids got that Bible on the top of their forehead more times than I could count. They had a flat spot, amen, amen. We had so much fun in Pioneers, but I remember the first verses I ever learned to memorize were Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, not a lot of that going on today, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you know what we're supposed to do till He come? We're supposed to be righteously living. Our living, you listen to me, our living, the way you live your life on a day-to-day -day basis is the acid test of your faith. See, we can all put on a show on Sunday. We can have our Sunday best on, and there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, there's something right about that. But we can have our Sunday best on, we can have our big Bible, our smile after we were just cussing at each other in the car. You'd laugh. I've known many, many people with little kids say, I thought about turning around when I got to the parking lot, but I was too close to do it. Amen? We can put on a show, but who you are on Monday when you punch in is who you really are. Who you are on Friday night when you're all by yourself is who you are. See, you know what we're supposed to be doing? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about sinning less. Hmm? We're supposed to be righteously living. We're supposed to be denying ungodliness, not embracing it, affirming it, and celebrating it. Which was June. We're supposed to be denying it. Righteously living. How about this one? Number nine. Right on time. We're supposed to be considerately gathering. Till he come. See, here's what Hebrews 10.24 says. It says, let us consider one another. You know, you ought to look around sometime. Miss Michelle, we've missed you. And I knew you couldn't be here. That's different. You ought to look around and think about... I, you know what I do, Brother Hauser? I think about people who used to sit in certain places and have gone on to glory. And how much I miss them. I see Brother Horsh's spot, and I see Brother McGee's spot over there, and I, and I miss Brother Fred back there, and, and fill in the blank, amen? But we're supposed to consider one another. 
You know, when you're not here and you could be here, you know what you're saying? Listen to me. It is inconsiderate. I'm not talking about vacation. I'm not talking that. That's fine. Everybody needs that. I'm talking about I'm just staying home today. Listen, if you're watching on live stream and you could be here, you should be here. Amen. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I've said this before, I'll say it again. One of the hardest things I ever have had to do as a pastor was not hold service during COVID. Brother Bob, it killed me. Not long, a couple of weeks, but we didn't know what it was. People were on ventilators, all that. We were meeting outside. We're still meeting, you know, folks, as much as we could. We were still meeting. But we're commanded to be considerately gathering till he come. Getting together. Just decide once and for all that coming to the house of God is important. Not just on Sunday morning. And all God's people said, when the doors are open, when the lights are on. I know, winter time, I've had, listen, 80-year-old ladies tell me, Pastor, when it gets to winter, I can't see very well. I understand that, but not everybody's an 80-year-old lady. Some of you can see just fine. You're watching your television at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. Now, you can do it tonight. I don't care. Well, I'll be home because we have afternoon service today. Amen. Well, Pastor Brett did say he was preaching in the evening, so I don't know what he's doing, but I'm leaving. Amen. Hey, listen, we're commanded to consider one another. We're commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Fellowship and the preaching and teaching of God's Word is necessary for your spiritual growth, but your attendance is necessary for the growth of others. What else? Two more, and I'm done. It's rare I have an 11-point message. Brother Hendershot would be proud, Brother Tom, amen? 11-point message. You call it my porcupine message. Actively waiting, faithfully teaching, fervently praying, lovingly helping, compassionately witnessing, diligently studying, reverently observing, righteously living, considerately gathering. How about this one? Simply trusting. Oh, I love that song, Trusting Jesus. Ira Sankey, page 261 in our hymnal, amen. Simply trusting every day. Trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, Trusting Jesus, that is all. Simply trusting. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many of you want to hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I sure do. Can't do that without trusting Him. Can't do that without... Say, I think it was one of the songwriters said, when you can't trace Him, trust Him. How many times in our life where we couldn't trace what he was doing? No idea as the tears flowed down our face. Say, I can't trace you at all, God, but you've not made a mistake yet. I think I'll just keep on trusting you. Let's be faithful to trust God, depend on him more today than we did yesterday. Remember, remember what that, that man said when he had his son was possessed of a devil? And he said, Jesus said, if thou believest, all things are possible to him that believe. And he said what I have echoed to God so many times. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Help my trust to be just a little bit bigger than my fear. And the last thing today. What should we be doing till he come? Actively waiting, faithfully teaching, fervently praying, lovingly helping, compassionately witnessing, diligently studying, reverently observing, righteously living, considerately gathering, simply trusting, earnestly contending. Jude. I know, folks, Jude. 50 lessons. I know, I know. Jude 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The adverb there is earnestly. 
It means warmly, zealously, eagerly, with real desire. The action is to contend. The root word there is used seven times and is translated as strive, fight, or labor fervently. The articles in Jude 3 are the faith. The faith is the extensive body of Bible doctrine which makes up the perfect whole of truth. Now, no one passage defines it. The faith is the complete New Testament teaching concerning Jesus Christ. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? For the last several years now, I have observed a trend in churches seeking to undermine the faith, seeking to destroy the faith, seeking to mock the faith. And you know, what it, you know what it is for us, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the faith, when it comes to the virgin birth of Christ, when it comes to the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, when it comes to the preservation of this book, spiritually speaking, God tells us, put up our dukes. Amen. There are, as that old uh, uh, Kingsman song, there are things we won't give over. There are things worth fighting for. And this is it. And one day, we won't have to fight anymore. One day, we'll be able to put our swords down. But till He come, He commands us to be earnestly contending. That means we're careful about who comes into this pulpit. I'm careful about it. I don't just have, listen, I, I've mentioned this, and I love, I love missionaries. I love missionaries. You know that. I don't just have anybody preach in this pulpit if I don't know them. Don't do it. No. Why? Because we're earnestly contending for the faith. Earnestly contending for the faith. MacArthur said, I shall return. And he did. Jesus Christ said, I will come again. And he will. What are you doing until then? Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the